Hi, this is Mandy Thomas. And I'm Kagan Moore, and this is The Fourth Degree. A podcast from WWL-TV in New Orleans, where we talk to people in the news about the news. I'm Mandy. I'm the social media editor here at WWL-TV. I'm Kagan. I produce a local lifestyle and entertainment talk show called The 504. And this podcast uh, kind of came about because we wanted to talk to people in the business, behind the scenes, and in front of the camera about what it's like to bring these stories to our community here in New Orleans and the greater New Orleans area. Yeah, we just felt like these reporters had so much more than just a minute and 30 package that they wanted to share on air, that there's uh, stories behind the stories, so to speak. Katie Moore is an investigative journalist here at WWL-TV with Eyewitness News. And uh, we want to welcome you to Fourth Degree. How are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing great. We're really excited to have you. I feel like this is a really special episode for us. I mean, especially for me, because I feel like being on the digital team here at WWL-TV, I've been watching you and talking with you and working with you on getting all the digital components together Mm -hmm. for this investigative series that you recently put out. It's called Searching for Ramona Brown. And without giving too much away, we'll let you give the listeners just a kind of a recap or an overview of what the the series is about. Sure. Um, The series is about a little girl who was three years old who went missing in a house fire in 1984. The fire was horrific. It killed her two little brothers. Um, Well, one was older than her, but it killed um, two of her brothers and left her missing. Um, There was an exhaustive search to try and find any trace of Ramona in the house. Um, They had not only investigators from the fire department and the police department, but the family started searching after the fire department and the police department gave up their search. They had members of the community out there trying to find any trace of Ramona, um, not only in the house, but around the house. So they searched for blocks around the house to try and see if maybe she had gotten out and crawled out or if maybe some sort of animal had grabbed her body even and taken it somewhere in the neighborhood. So they searched for a long time and they found no trace of her. And so we went back 33 years later, dug into the investigation into how they searched for her and talked to the family and got some pretty explosive new possibilities of what may have happened to Ramona by talking to them. So that's basically what the story was about. So in just watching it, um, it reminded me of Unsolved Mysteries Mm -hmm. and Dateline um, on NBC and even 48 Hours Mystery. So I was wondering if um, any of those types of shows or the way that those are formatted or those storytelling styles influenced you in telling Ramona's story? Absolutely. Um, My photographer, who is TJ Pipitone, who is amazing, amazing. Um, I'm beyond lucky to have the chance to work with him regularly because he's our investigative photographer here. The two of us sat down and um, talked about what we wanted this to look like, even from the initial stages of me pitching it. Um, I had pitched you know, different parts of the series on the front end because I knew the story was multifaceted and I wanted people to understand it and to really feel like they were a part of it. So TJ and I were talking about it and he um, 
you know, once we started shooting it, he started to get an idea in his head of what he wanted it to look like and sound like. And we wanted it to be somewhat dark because it was dark when it happened. It was such a dark, sad thing that happened. And so we were really going for a look and a style that would convey that. And then we wanted to do something different with this. We didn't want it to be a typical TV news, local news package. We wanted to try and push the envelope a little bit and see if we could really get people engaged in it. Because that's what we want at the end of this is people to get engaged and people to get involved and people to to speak up uh, speak up if they heard anything or saw anything or have any ideas on how we might be able to get some closure for the family. So that's why we wanted to do something different and that's why you don't see a lot of me in the story. Um, you hear a lot from the people who experienced it and went through it and investigated it, all of those things because it's the story's not about me, it's about them. And I wanted people to really feel like they had some ownership in it. Yeah, that's definitely one thing I noticed. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about that and Normal packages, you know, are a minute and a half, and it's a lot of the reporters track talking, stand-ups, and things like that. But with your story, I was talking about there's, that felt like there was like a rhythm to it, and mm-hmm. there was a flow. And then also, you were there because we knew that you were kind of, you, you were obviously narrating and, and helping to guide and make sense of all the information. But it was really people giving their firsthand accounts of what happened that night or the way they feel. And it was just really cool to kind of get um, more of those sound bites from the people who actually experienced it. So you weren't telling their story. You were the conduit, but they were, you know, really their telling their story. Yeah, um, that's what we wanted. And if you notice in there in the story, um, for example, we did two different um interviews with Simona, who's the sister who has this recollection that Ramona may have been kidnapped and who's been telling this story to her family for 30 years. And I went and interviewed her by myself with my iPhone and shot some of that on my iPhone um, just to get an initial, you know, she's told me the story, I don't even know how many times, um, because just I've been talking to her about this for months, literally, since I don't even know, last summer um, when she first told me about it. And um, so I shot that first one on my iPhone, and then we went back, and TJ worked his magic on the on the second one. Um, and so we wanted people to see, to get the impression that she's been telling this story for 30 years, and we've heard this story from her multiple times. And so that's why we did that. It's just another different um, sort of storytelling technique that we that we decided to use. Yeah, and and my reaction similar to Kagan's with the with the datelines and the forty eight hours, I immediately thought of serial and these the the popularity of the true crime documentary style podcasts that are so popular. In fact, I was doing some research and they've dubbed it the serial effect. Yeah, because there's been dozens of podcasts that have come out since serial that are trying to duplicate that feeling of of. A lot of times it's a cold case. A lot of times it's a murder case. Mm-hmm. And they, they they do the things that, that you did, too, was let the other people tell the story. And mm-hmm. so I, I was curious if you listened to any of those podcasts, if, the, if, if you felt like you were impacted by the serial effect. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I love those shows. And like everybody <laughs> else out there, I mean, NCIS New Orleans is one of the highest rated shows yeah. right now for a reason. It's because people want to feel like they're using their brain when they're watching something on television. They want to be a part of the investigation. Everybody feels like they're a detective in, you know, their dining room. Right. So um, that is one of the things that really impacts impacted me and made me say when I first heard about this, this is a story that number one, we can do to help the family. And number two, would just be an incredible way to get people engaged and excited about it. And so um, 
that's why we wanted to do it. Is a, a lot of it is <laughs> that I'm an addict <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, about those shows too, and that concept too, and I I love them. So I've always been hooked on Forty Eight Hours and stuff though too. Um, I love that show. I, I love that, you know I've worked with those people on stories in the past, which cool. um, was always neat. And um, you know I covered the Mangano trial which is not really an unsolved crime, but it was a trial um, that was a post-Katrina trial of um, nursing homes in St. Bernard Parish that didn't get evacuated. And so the owners of the nursing homes who decided not to evacuate the people, many of them died, um, were put on trial for that. And so I was covering it, and 48 Hours was also covering it, so I got to work with some of their amazing producers. But um, I'm addicted. So, of course, that comes through, right? Well, so is the world. I was looking up stats. So Serial... Got it was the first podcast ever to get 16 million downloads, and they did that in about eight weeks. Wow! So just this year, the producers of Serial put out another podcast called S Town, which is sort of based on a similar premise about a, a small town murder. Or you think that podcast got 16 million downloads in seven days, which is crazy. That is crazy. But it's cool to to see the popularity of podcasts and, and this kind of storytelling. Yeah, it's I neat. think. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. I, I'm fascinated with um, the change that um, – whether it's journalism, whether it's entertainment, you know, I think that the lines are sort of um, colliding. And in this case, it's in a good way um, because you have people looking at cases that got swept under the rug. And with every single one of these cases, there's a family and there are people who want answers. And so that's what's so cool about the trend is that it's really putting a spotlight on some of these cases that have just sort of been thrown to the wayside, you know? Yeah. So also in the piece, um, you guys did some really cool kind of technological things. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't even sound like it's the 21st century. What's a technological thing? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) there's this really cool um, computer-generated layout of the house um, that you kind of walk through. You laid out where different people were at different times when the fire started and then how they made their exit or didn't. So could Mm -hmm. you explain a little bit about um, what went into maybe the inspiration for that piece as a part of the the project? Sure. So um, in doing this story, I've talked about this before, but um, so many of the records associated with this case were lost during Hurricane Katrina. Some of those records and one of the most important records that was lost was the fire department's investigative report. And in the fire department's investigative report, there would have been a drawing of the house, which would have shown where everyone was when the fire broke out and how they got out so that you could narrow down where Ramona was, how close she was to the source of the fire, which is key in whether or not her body could have been burned to the point that they couldn't find her. So I wanted to recreate that and say, you know, where was everybody that night so that people watching could understand um, the positioning there. So um, it took so much work to try and get the layout of that house down because they've rebuilt the the Browns have rebuilt their house on that same property. Um, but it's a different house and the the layout is different. I went back to City Hall, I don't even know how many times, asking um, for records, like the building records of that house, so that I could try and figure out what the floor plan looked like. And then I was able to talk to all of the Brown children, who are obviously in their 30s and 40s now, um, but talk to all the Brown children about where they were and where they remember Ramona and all of that stuff, how they got out. Um, So using witness accounts, and then I was hoping to use the building records to be able to recreate that and have our graphics people recreate a blueprint style house so that we could, you know, visually demonstrate that and make people feel like they were in the house. I I 
came up empty in terms of trying to get those building records. They don't keep the actual plans past three years. So obviously it's been 33 years and they don't have any of that. Um, they had some of the records of like building permits and things like that that the Browns have gotten over the years because unfortunately they've had a couple of other fires in that house, which I think is going to be part of a future story. But um, they've had a couple of other incidents in that house. And so I was able to get those building permits and stuff like that. But I really had to talk to witnesses and stuff to figure out um, what the layout of the house was and where everybody got out. So I spent some time with the Brown children and drew this really rudimentary drawing that just looks like something my kids would make in school. But um, we were able to send that to our graphics people. And then we did a virtual reality shoot, um, which is technology that we're able to use now because Tegna, our parent company, has invested in it, which I think is really awesome. And so um, we shot it on a green cloth, basically, because we needed it to go from the ceiling all the way down to the floor. So that it looked like me on that bright green weather wall type um, material so that we could then key in the virtual house. And so they were able to do that, you know, at our our graphics center up in Denver. And so I think it turned out pretty cool. There's one part in it, though, this is funny, um, (laughs) where they're moving me around. We used 4K video technology, which is um, super high resolution. It's very new. People are using it a lot because you can manipulate what's in the video image a lot better. And it's not going to digitize and look bad. But, like, in one part of it, I'm sort of moving and taking a couple of steps. And then I'm taking a couple of steps back but it moves a lot faster than I'm walking. So my photographer um, keeps joking that it looks like I'm moonwalking. <laughs> but you don't really notice it. I just notice it because TJ pointed it out. And we should say that if you miss Katie's series on TV, you can still watch it online. It's on WWLTV.com. Just click on Investigations. And this particular scene that we're talking about is in part two mm-hmm. of the series. So if you haven't seen it, you should, totally should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it turned out I'm really happy with it. And I just hope that it gets some answers, you know, and we're not done with this series. So I think there's going to be more to come um, in the future, especially as we get DNA results back, because we decided to reach out to Ancestry.com and see if we could get some DNA tests done to see if, if there's any chance that Ramona's out there and wondering who she is and what her background is. And she may have sent some DNA into Ancestry.com, and we may be able to come up with a match. We'll see. Those results aren't back yet, but that's a future story. So I guess one of the biggest questions is why this story? Everyone asks me that. And, I, you know, there are so many people out there with stories like this and with missing people in their lives. And obviously we can't do them all. Um, and I know that. And, and that's hard. Um But in this particular case, this family has gone through so much over the years. And I really thought that there might be a chance that we might be able to to make something happen in it. And so um, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do it, um, because there could be a chance that we could make a difference in it. Well, and I know I know how the story came about, but maybe you could tell Kagan, you were actually working on another investigative report. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Simona Brown was actually um, involved in another investigative series that I did. She was a victim in a housing scam. And so um, we interviewed her for that. And then, you know, I remember we were done shooting with her. We did an interview with her. And she said to me, hey, you're an investigative reporter. There's something that I'm wondering if you can help me with. We lost my sister in a house fire in 1984. Do you think that you could help me find her? And I just said, yeah. 
that'd be a great story. And so I've been, it's been on the back of my mind ever since. I got the police report. I was hooked as soon as I read the police report, started reading old newspaper coverage of it, even our coverage of it, because at WWL-TV, we covered the fire back in 84. Um, and, you know, I, it just kept going through my brain, like, did she die? Did she not die? Did she get out? Was she kidnapped? I mean, all those questions have been going through my head in the last few months. It's one of those things that you just can't get out, get out of my brain. So with all of those questions, what is there something that you or what do you believe yeah. happened? What do you think? You know, it depends on when you ask me. I mean, you <laughs> ask me right now, I'm going to say I think she got out. And then you ask me 10 minutes from now and I'll say, I think, oh, man, I think maybe she, she passed away in the fire. You know, I get um, conflicting and different new information since this is aired, I don't know, a few times a day. Um, you know, I talked to one person yesterday who was involved at the time with the with the family and with getting them some help after the fire. And, you know, he said the fire department was pretty confident that she that she just burned up. And I said, really? Well, how do they know? And um, he said uh, they just were confident. And I was like, OK, but how do they know? Yeah, because you know? I remember the graphic that was on the screen and I don't remember what part it was, but it said it had to be at this um, temperature, temperature, and that mm-hmm. for this amount of time, in order for that to even happen, and the fire had only been burning for thirty minutes, and it wasn't even yeah. near. And then, even if it was at that temperature in that amount of time, there would still be fragments of bone. And yeah, yeah. Now, something the state fire marshal did say to us, and this fire expert that I talked to in California, who's one of the um, world-renowned experts in fires' effect on the body, he did say that because she was so little that the chances were good that her body would have been more significantly damaged in that short period of time. But they also both said there would have been something left to find, including a pelvic bone. I guess your pelvic bone is one of the largest and um, most solid bones in your body, especially when you're, you know, between three and four, which is when your your bones harden um, between, I guess, two and a half and three. And so... Um, they said that that very likely would have been there to find. But they also said it would be very difficult to find if the ceiling collapsed, which it did in this case. So I don't know the answer to that, Kagan. I don't know what I think. I think one thing one right. minute and one thing the next minute, you know. And um, it's just interesting. I, I talked to another person since um, the series aired who helped in that search. And what he told me was they even found mouse bones. You know, so if they found mouse bones, why couldn't they find Ramona's? Right. Which makes me think that she wasn't in the fire, that she didn't die. I think she's still out there. I do, too. You do? I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I hope she is for the family. Maybe living under a different name and maybe she doesn't know. She might not know. Who that's she the is, thing. actually. You think about all these things and that's yeah. what's so fascinating about the case. And I'm sure it's gone through the siblings' minds for years, like... Which she, you know, Pam indicated this. One of the sisters said at the end of the story, you know, I think about her all the time. Like, would she know us? Would she know how we act? Would she know what we look like? Could we be standing next to her in Walmart and she not even know that I'm her sister? Wow. I have goosebumps thinking about it yeah. because, yeah. you know, you just all those things go through your mind in this story. So what's next for this story? Well, we're not 100% sure yet, but I think people are probably going to get the chance to watch some sort of special on it. Um, Ooh, I like yeah. it. Yeah, and then obviously we have the DNA results that we're hoping to get back. And even if we find nothing, we want to make sure that we let everyone know that we found nothing. Oh, yeah. But even if we find nothing right now, their DNA will stay in that database. So if at some point 
she's out there and she decides that she's going to submit her DNA, it, they'll get a hit. Yeah. So they'll get, you know, an email from Ancestry.com saying somebody put their DNA into this database even five years from now um, and she may be related to you, which wow. would be amazing. That would be awesome. So does Ancestry.com help specifically with missing persons cases or they're just trying to connect people who may be um, who may share yeah. very close DNA like how does that work it's so ancestry.com is basically a website that has um, family tree information so people can go in there and build a family tree and people who are interested in genealogy um, and and their background and and their ethnic background and all of that stuff can go in there and um, you know, upload their family tree and have an account and search um, both nationwide and worldwide. Well, they recently started this database of DNA where they're actually connecting people with DNA. And so people can put their DNA in there and find out whether or not they have any blood relatives out there that maybe they didn't know about, or they can even see what their racial makeup is. Now, Ancestry says that their racial makeup um, estimations are not as good as their matches for DNA and family. So the familial relations are really good because it's DNA and, you know, there's, you know, the science is the science. As far as your ethnic makeup, it's a little bit more um, questionable whether or not it's 100% accurate. But um, it's still pretty good and it's still pretty interesting if you if you go on there and you check it out. So hopefully that's going to result in something for the family. And we should also add that we have a, I keep calling it a tip line. It's not actually a phone number, but it's a form that you can fill out if you have a tip, if you have yeah. information, if you think you've seen Ramona, or maybe you remember something about the fire or yeah. the investigation. It's on our website. We've attached it to the bottom of all the stories and the and the videos that we've posted for Katie's series. So if there's anyone out there who has anything, the form is online, www.tv.com. Yeah, and it comes straight to me. And, um, you know, obviously we've been talking to the State Fire Marshal's office about this. And, um, you know, they they have said, you know, if if we get new information that is worthy of us reopening the case, we'll reopen the case. Um, but we need information for them to do that. Um, and I don't know, you know, obviously it's difficult because the scene is long since gone. I mean, they're, they've rebuilt their house on it a couple of times. So, um, you know, it's not like there's any hard evidence there. But one of the things I thought was interesting from them is that, and and something that went through my mind was, you know, they didn't end up using cadaver dogs at the time in 1984, which they use a lot now. Um, But the state fire marshal's office was never contacted. And so even though the NOPD and the NOFD didn't have access to cadaver dogs at the time, the state fire marshal's office very likely would have and so that was one avenue that they could have used to try and search in case they weren't able to find her bones in these extensive searches that they did. But that didn't happen. So, you know, it just it sort of adds to the mystery. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Searching for Ramona Brown. Yeah. It's 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 very compelling. Um, I loved watching all three parts. Thank you. And I also love that... Um, there was a good amount of time dedicated to it. You know, a lot of times yes. you get those short pieces um, that gives you a lot of information, you know, in, in one and a half and two minutes. But the fact that you could sit down for six, seven, eight minutes and, and watch this, I thought that was a really cool breath of fresh air for, for local news and a local station. Yeah. It, um, I'm so lucky that I was able to do it um, from a journalistic standpoint. I mean, I'm so lucky that my boss said 
I, you know, when I first pitched the story, he said there's nothing, <laughs> nothing that was an easier decision for him than saying, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's do this series. Okay. You know, if I need to just take you off of everything else for the next, um, whatever period of time to get you to get this done and do it the way that you want to do it, then I'll do it, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, kudos to, to Keith Esperos for doing that, um, and for giving me the go ahead. Cause that's a lot of faith in, <laughs> you know, somebody when, you know, you you need a lot of stuff and you don't have a lot of staff. So yeah. um, it, it was great. And, you know, I've heard from people, a lot of the reactions that I'm getting about it is that they didn't feel like it was six, seven, eight minutes. No, not at all. Not when at they all. were watching it. So not that makes all. me happy and that makes me feel like I did my job okay. And that, um, you know, I, I did this family justice, I hope. There's been such an interest. I was watching on Monday when the series aired. It aired Monday night at 10 p.m., Monday, May 8th. At noon that day, Katie went on to our noon newscast, and she just said a little something about what was coming up, what people could expect. Immediately, people were searching on our website for information about Ramona Brown. So there's mm-hmm. there's such a high interest, and I, I hope that you're able to continue researching and, and looking into it. And and I really look forward to more if, if there's more. Yeah, I think there's more. I mean— I know the family hopes there's more, that's for sure. And um, I hope I can give them more in terms of, you know, getting any sort of leads and getting any new information. You know, just like I said, these two other people who were involved in the search contacted me since the story aired. Even neighbors who lived in that area have contacted me that I wasn't able to find. You know, I could sort of focused my search for neighbors, which was pretty um, – difficult on its own right is trying to find everybody who lived there in 1984 and find where they are now and get in touch with them and see what they remember and if they'll talk to me. Um, and so I, I narrowed it to the areas that were, I don't even know, two blocks around, it, n- nothing specific, but, you know, just looking on a map, I was like, okay, let's focus on this area. And um, I've, I'm hearing from people since the series has aired that even lived three blocks away who said, did you try and talk to X person or Y person? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't hear about X person or Y person. Um, you know, thanks for giving me a great lead on it. So hopefully we'll get some new information as, as we keep pursuing it. Fourth Degree is produced by Joshua Detige, Kagan Moore, and Mandy Thomas. Visuals are provided by Joshua Detige. Fourth Degree is engineered by Ed Merritt and is recorded at the WWL-TV studios in New Orleans, Louisiana. You can hear all episodes of The Fourth Degree on our website, wwltv.com backslash fourth degree. That's the number four, T-H-D-E-G-R-E-E. You can also download the free WWL-TV news app, or you can subscribe to The Fourth Degree on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. This is The Fourth Degree.